Thanks, Nate. Good morning. I'm Bobby, another one of the pastors here. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. And I just want to say before we get into our, our message here this morning that obviously we have uh, our elementary kids here in the service with us. I love what we are doing in Soma Kids and what our kids get to experience um, when they are in their classroom and just the the richness of the teaching and, and the experiences and the friendships that we're making. I also love when our kids are here in this room with us, worshiping with us, participating in this service. And so they're going to be kids. Uh, they're going to make some noise. They're going to move around a lot. So parents, uh, just chill out a little bit. Don't worry about that. Let them, you know, do what they need to do. We all understand that. And uh, we're thankful that they're in here with us. That doesn't bother me. Um, and as we're preaching and teaching, um, for those of you who don't have kids, the, the sheets that we have provided our kids to, to draw on, to write on, they're also things that connect to the sermon uh, and what we're going to be looking at here in the text. And so some key words and some things that you know, are, are available to parents to take home and follow up and, and have some conversations with. So uh, just an opportunity that we have this morning to have a, an, an integrated service with our kids and, and invite them into this space. We have been uh, diving into and studying together the book of Exodus. Uh, we started at the beginning of February, and so far we have seen uh, a story that has been full of oppression, genocide, uh, sorrow, darkness for the people of God in the book of Exodus living in the land of Egypt. We have been introduced to a man named Moses who as a child was rescued by God, was set up in Pharaoh's own household, but who was eventually forced into exile out of Egypt into another land to a life of shepherding his father-in-law's sheep out in the wilderness. And as we've tracked the life of Moses so far, we can't help but feel a sense of disappointment about the way things have turned out. We look at his life, we look at just the foreshadowing of his life and what God had set him up to do, to be a deliverer, to bring God's people out of Egypt. And here we find Moses out in the middle of nowhere. He's settled down, he's raising a family, he's shepherding someone else's sheep away from his people, away from the land that he was born into, and you can't help but feel that what could have been at this stage of his life. But last week, we saw against this backdrop of disappointment, against this backdrop of darkness, that God himself, the God of Israel, Yahweh, reveals himself in a way that he hadn't before. He revealed himself to Moses as a God of love, a God of compassion, a holy God, a God who is a deliverer. He revealed his plan to Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt and into their own land, an abundant land, a land that they could call their own. But the kicker was, as we saw, that God hadn't moved on to plan B. God hadn't looked at Moses' life as a disappointment. God wasn't looking for someone else who was more competent, who was more successful 
than Moses to lead his people out of slavery. We saw that Moses was still the guy. Moses was still the man that God had chosen to do this. But what we also saw is that as God reveals this to Moses and says, I am going to send you, I'm going to use you, that Moses balks at this calling from God. You know, he asks the question, well, God, I mean, who am I? Like, who am I that I should do this? And God responds, it's not about you because I will be with you. And then Moses says, okay, but who are you? And in the climax of that passage of Exodus chapter 3, God responds, I am who I am. I am is sending you to deliver my people. That God promised to be with Moses because this God had always been and would always be. That he just is. And Moses could take comfort in that and take take assurance in that. But what we're going to see in our passage this morning is the dialogue between Moses and God continued. There was still this back and forth that even though Moses had this life-altering encounter with the living God. Even though God had told Moses what was going to happen in Egypt, what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, that Moses still had trouble accepting God's call on his life. He still had trouble stepping in to what God had called him to do by faith. And as we move through this passage this morning and we continue on in this dialogue between God and Moses, I want to call you back to something that we've been saying from the beginning of Exodus. This story is not about Moses. This story is about God. God is the subject. God is the central character. God and his glory is the theme. And so I want you to remember that as we work through Exodus chapter 4. So if you're not already there, Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. If you're using one of the Bibles in, uh, on the seat around you, you'll find that on page 27. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, feel free to take that with you this morning, our gift to you. Verse 1 of Exodus 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen To my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now, on its face, this is a valid objection. They won't believe me. This is valid. God, if I go to them and say, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has spoke to me, saying, I'm going to deliver you. God, they aren't going to believe that that's true. And it's valid. That's a valid objection because we find out later in the Scriptures in Acts chapter 7 during a sermon that a guy named Stephen gave that at this point it had been 40 years since Moses had left Egypt. He had been in exile from Egypt for 40 years. So at best... The people of God may not remember him, but at worst, what if they did remember him? What was the last thing that they remembered Moses doing? We saw that at the end of chapter 2. 
They remembered Moses killing, murdering an Egyptian. And then because Pharaoh found out about it and came after him, Moses flees the scene. So the thing that they remember about Moses is here's this guy who had been living as, as, a, as, as an Egyptian, who was really a Hebrew, and the first chance he gets to help his people, he screws it all up. And then he leaves. And Moses says, God, if I go back and say these things to these people, they're going to be like, Wait, who are you again? I remember you. So objection one, they won't believe me. Let's keep on reading in the text. Verse two, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it like any sensible person would do. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he puts it, he puts his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, there are significance. There's significance with each one of these signs. These aren't just random things that God is doing. So let's, let's go back and work through these. The first sign is that Moses has this staff, his shepherd's staff, and God says, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. Now, there is nothing that makes me lose my stuff more quickly than the thought of a snake. I hate snakes. Just the slithery, the scaly, the hissing, the way they just, it's just, it's awful. And Moses apparently felt the same way because as soon as he threw it on the ground and it became a snake, he runs. And I'm telling you, if this was me and this was my test, I would have already failed. I would be long gone. I wouldn't be coming back. But God says, Moses, pick it up. But he doesn't say, Moses, pick it up by the head, where I guess people who are crazy enough to pick up snakes, that's where they would pick it up. He says, pick it up by the tail. And we all know, bad idea. You don't pick a snake up, period. But you especially don't pick it up by its tail. But to Moses' credit, he does. He reaches down and he grabs the snake by its tail and the snake turns back into his staff. The second sign God gives is he says, stick your hand inside your coat. And as Moses sticks his hand inside his coat and and removes it, the text tells us that his hand was leprous. 
Now, the word leprosy, it was a term that was used in the Old Testament for a number of different, just really serious, serious skin diseases. Uh, they, they were slow-moving. Uh, they, were, they were highly infectious. They were dif- di- uh, disfiguring. They were contagious. And because of that, that contagion and that, the fact that it would spread over their body, these people were isolated. They were pushed outside, away from their families, away from the rest of society, and there was virtually no cure. And so these people lived as rejects for the rest of their life. And you can imagine, as Moses brings his hand out and sees it covered with leprosy, you can imagine the fear that's there that multiplies the fear of the snake, now multiplied where this is actually on me. And imagine what he felt when God said, now, put it back inside. Let it touch the rest of your body. And again, to Moses' credit, he does that. And when he pulls his hand back out, it's healed. It's like it was before. Now, the third sign God didn't do, but he told Moses that he would do this. He says, I will take water from the Nile River and I will turn it into blood. And what's significant about this is that the Nile, this river, was the centerpiece of Egyptian life and culture. Everything about the land of Egypt was defined by that river. It was literally life because of the water that it provided and because of what it did for the soil and allowing the Egyptians, to plant crops and crops and crops and harvest those crops for years and years and years. Because this river was so central to their life, they worshiped this river. They worshiped the gods of this river. And God told Moses, I will make this source of life a source of death. I will make this source of life a source of death. And notice the signs, these signs, the signs that God promised to do, that they may believe the Lord has appeared to you. As we are going to see as we move through the book of Exodus with the plagues, that God does use these signs to communicate to his people, to communicate to the Egyptians. But you can't help but think that in this moment, God is using it primarily to communicate to Moses to communicate to Moses that I am who I am, that I am God, that God showed here that he could overcome nature, that he could overcome disease, that he could overcome the gods of Egypt. So in answer to Moses' first question of why would they listen to me? What about my past? What if they remember me? What if they don't remember me? God's answer is if I can overcome all of these things, I can overcome your past. I can overcome the fear and the self-doubt that you have that these people will not listen to him. See, Moses made this call of God about himself. What if they don't believe me? And here God helps Moses to see the question is not, what if they don't believe you? The question is, will they believe me? Will they believe me, their God? Let's move on. Verse 10 of chapter 4. 
But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So objection number one, what if they don't believe me? Objection number two, God, I just don't speak that well. I am not eloquent. Now, some people have taken this and believed that, you know, Moses had some kind of a speech defect, but I don't think that there's much truth to that because as we see, Moses continues for the rest of the book to be the primary speaker. Moses is speaking all of the time, over and over again to God's people, to God himself, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians. Moses is afraid. (laughs) Moses is afraid. And he's trying to sound humble. He's trying to sound deprecating here. But this just reveals that he's afraid of what God's asked him to do. He sees himself and he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. But again, how does God respond to Moses' objection? He made it about him. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. What does God do? God makes it about him. God makes it about himself. And he draws Moses back to his creative power, to his authority. And he said, Moses, if I can create your mouth, if I can make you speak, then surely I can give you the words to say. Surely, if I'm going to send you to be my spokesman to my people and to Pharaoh, don't you think I can give you the words to say? Objection number one, why would they believe me? Objection number two, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak well. Let's look at the last objection in verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Objection number three. God, can't you just send somebody else? Ask someone else to do it, God. Call somebody else to do this work. The Hebrew here, this question is is kind of unclear. Uh, Some people translate it as a resignation of Moses Moses just saying, God, do what you're going to do. The ESV translates it here more as Moses' stubbornness. Send somebody else. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the guy. Find someone else. Moses persists in resisting God's call. 
Moses persists in not fully trusting what God says about himself and what he will do. And that is why we see God's anger kindled against Moses. God is never angry with our questions and our doubts. God is never angry at our questions and our hesitation and our doubts. What makes God angry, what kindles his angry, anger is when we choose in the face of what he has told us to be true, in the face of who he has revealed himself to be, when we choose over and over to not believe, to not take him at his word, to not trust him. Moses was staring at the reality of God and his power in the face. And though he had obeyed God, And he had shown faith by picking up the snake, by putting his hand inside his cloak. He was still in this moment looking for a way out. And remember last week we talked about the holiness of God. That God is so different that that difference is dangerous. And God would have been fully justified in incinerating Moses right there on the spot. Because you don't waltz into God's presence. You don't just take what God says for granted. He is God. And Moses wasn't. But look at the beauty of this interaction. Instead of God doing what he fully had the right to do, God shows patience and God shows kindness to Moses. And in the face of Moses' unbelief, God moves to him in grace and provides him support. Support in the form of his brother, Aaron. Now, we don't know what kind of relationship, if any, Moses and Aaron had to this point. Moses grew up apart from his family. Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh. Who knows, Moses and his brother may not even have met up to this point. And what the beautiful thing here is, is that God in his grace and in his providence provides this reunion. In the face of Moses' doubts, in the face of his hesitation, in the face of his unbelief, God says, I love you and I've called you and I'm patient with you and in my mercy. I'm giving you help. Your brother will help you. And here is this staff. Take it as a symbol for the rest of this time of my power and my presence in your life. My power and my presence. Look at how each time Moses tries to make God's plan about himself, his mortality, God meets him with power, overcoming his past, overcoming his fear, overcoming his unbelief. Look at God's persistent patience with Moses. Look at how God offers Moses help. Not by saying, Moses, I'm going to make you into the person I can use. I'm going to make you into a different person. God offers Moses help by offering him his presence. I will be with you. I will be with you. As I was thinking this morning, what does this mean for us? How do we connect with this in our lives and what God has called us to do? I want to offer you four 
four things to think about this morning. First of all, God calls. Simply, God calls. Just like Moses, we are tempted to make our relationship to God about us. That we are the initiators. That we are the activators. But here we see that God had been working long before Moses ever showed up. That even when Moses and his life seemed to be disappointing, God was still working. God was still present. And God shows up. I mean, let's be honest. Moses wasn't on some quest for God here. Moses was just minding his own business. He was tending sheep. He was raising his family. And then God intervenes. God shows up and God reveals himself to Moses. And I know that many of us in this room have a story like that, right? Have a story of conversion like that. That maybe we just didn't care. Maybe we were living our lives in just kind of blissful ignorance about who God was. Or maybe we were living in active resistance. Minding our own business. And God shows up. God intervenes. And maybe it was a burning bush moment in, our, in your life. Or maybe it was God revealing himself bit by bit over time. But the result was the same. God in his grace and in his love and in his perfect understanding drew us to himself. Revealed himself to us. And brought us into a relationship with him. But that's the beautiful thing about God is that his calling of us doesn't end there. God calls us to relationship and God calls us to purpose. God calls us and sets us apart for something special, something that he has prepared, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, beforehand for us to do. Throughout our lives, he calls us away sometimes from what we're doing to something new, to something different. Maybe it's a different job. Maybe it's a different location. Maybe it's a new friendship that we are able to build, a new neighbor, a new coworker that we can bless and serve and minister to. Maybe it's a new ministry. It's a new avenue of service. The question for us is, are we open to it? Last week we talked about God is constantly revealing himself to us. And the question is, will we stop? Will we look? Will we listen? Are we open to what God has to say to us? Do we have the eyes to see? And if not, what is holding us back? What is holding you back from fully stepping into what God has called you to do? What is holding you back maybe from fully stepping in to the relationship with himself that he is graciously offering you? God calls. Secondly, God calls ordinary people. God calls ordinary people. God doesn't look at our resumes. God doesn't look at our experiences. God is not put off by our commonness or our mundane lives. Following Jesus, y'all, is not an Instagram life. 
It's not what we see at big showy conferences. It's not the, the, the books that we read. It's not uh, about intellect or popularity or money or power or some kind of a personality. Following God happens in the thousands of tiny moments that we have throughout our days and our weeks because God is present to us in those times. By all accounts, Moses was a disappointment. By all accounts, his life hadn't turned out the way that he thought that it would turn out. And no wonder, no wonder he asked God, who am I? I mean, seriously, if we are all honest with ourselves this morning, in the face of God's call, we would all have to ask God that question, why? Why in the world would you choose me? Why in the world would you want to work through me? And that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. It's not about who I am. It's about who God is. God calls. God calls ordinary people. But here's the part that stings. God's call always reveals our inadequacies. God's call always reveals our inadequacy. It's easy to look down at Moses' responses to God and just think, like, how could he not? How could he not believe? How could he not follow through? How could he not be excited about this stuff? But we see over and over again that this is a repeated pattern through the Old Testament, that, that God calls people out of darkness, into a relationship with him. That God calls people to do something for him. And there is repeated questioning. There is repeated denial. There is repeated asking for proof. God, are you really real? Are you really going to do this? There is even times, like in Jonah's case, if you remember, he turns and goes the exact opposite direction. He tries to get as far away from what God has asked, asked him to do as possible. But when we see who we are against the greatness of who God is, how could we not be humbled? How could we not recognize our limitations when we see what God has called us to and what, how God wants to use us? I have never done anything in my life as hard as being an elder here at Soma. Last year was the hardest year of my adult life. It was. Um, because I was forced, it seemed like almost weekly, to face my limitations. My spiritual laziness. My emotional immaturity. Um, my relational incompetence. And it hurt. It just felt like a wound that I just kept ripping, that God kept ripping the scab off over and over and over again. It's raw and it's exhausting when we put ourselves fully under submission to God because God will reveal who we really are. God will reveal our inadequacies. God will reveal our weaknesses. God will reveal our limitations. But what is motivating to show up 
day after day in submission to God is that day after day, God keeps showing up. God keeps showing up in our lives, offering grace, offering mercy through his spirit in us, transforming us into the people that he's created us to be, giving us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And that leads to the fourth thing. The beautiful truth that I'm trying to live into now, and I know many of you are experiencing as well, that while God's call reveals our inadequacy, the truth and the reality is God is greater than our inadequacies. God is greater than our inadequacies. These two responses by the Lord stick out to me. When Moses says, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak well, what does God say? Is it not I, the Lord? And over and over again, he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. We can choose in our relationship to God to live in self-doubt. We can choose to let our past and who we have been and what we have done continue to define us. We can be racked with fear and just ask over and over again all of the what-if questions. Or we can choose to step into God's call for us with faith. And when we do this, what we will experience is God's power and his presence. God's power and his presence to transform us, to empower us, to give us peace and security and faith as we continue to move forward in how he's called us to live. So are we open? Are we open to God's call? Are we open to what God is saying to us this morning? What is holding us back? What is holding you back? If you're not a Christian this morning, what is holding you back from saying, God, I believe in you, I trust you, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to accept the gift of grace that you've given me through your son, Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning, are you living, as we just sang, climbing this mountain with our hands wide open? Are you living this life like this, saying, God, I want to receive from you. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you want for my life, but, but, I'm going to step out in faith, even if it's not what I think I want for my life. Am I willing to hear from you? We see in Moses and we see in his brother Aaron the continued failures and limitations. They're on display through the rest of this book of Exodus. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. Leaders, deliverers, Judges, prophets, kings that God has called to lead his people, that God has called to do a work, we see them flawed. We see their limits. We see their inadequacies because God was priming his people for a sufficient deliverer, for a deliverer who had no flaws, 
for a deliverer who obeyed perfectly, for a deliverer who had the power, the true power, the complete power, the sufficient power to save. A good shepherd and a faithful high priest. That's why this story is not about Moses. This story is about God. This story is about God's plan. This story is about God sending Jesus to save his people from their sin. And the same is true with us. We are living into that because our lives are not about us. Our lives are not about our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our paths, our failures, our fears. Our lives are about God. Our lives are about the reality that Jesus Christ has come to save us. And that Jesus Christ in us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, will never leave us. That we are continually, every day, being told by God, is it not I, the Lord? I will be with you. And so, as we come to our time of communion this morning, as we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the juice, I want to invite you this morning to wrestle with God, to come before God and to say, what are you saying to me? What are you revealing about yourself to me? What are you calling me to do in this season of my life? And am I open to hear that? Am I open to receive that? Am I open to take that step, even though I don't know what that will look like? I'm open to take that step of faith, to move forward, trusting that you have been, that you are, and that you will be. If you're a Christian this morning, please come. If you need someone to pray for you, we'll have people over here on this side to listen, to pray with you. If you'd like to talk with a pastor, if you'd like to talk with one of our wives after the service, we would love to have that conversation with you. God loves you. God is for you. God is with you because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, your deliverance, your power to save, your glory and your greatness is not limited to bringing millions of people out of Egypt. We see the evidence sitting right here in this room that in each one of our lives, you have done a work. You are doing a work. I pray that we as people would be open to hearing from you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you work and would you move in such a way that we are able to see the things that are holding us back from truly receiving what you have to give us. And I pray that as we wrestle with these things, as, we, as Moses did and everyone else, ask questions. We ask for proof. Sometimes we want to turn away and run. I'm thankful for your patience. And as we find ourselves in those spots, I pray that we will continue to show up and be present to you. Because day after day, 
week after week, month after month, year after year, you continue to show up and be present to us. And there is power in that. I pray that our community, the people that we live next to, the people that we work with, the kids we go to school with, I pray that they would experience us as a people who walk forward and trust God. Not because we have it all figured out, not because we have all the right answers, not because of who we are, but because of who our God is. In Jesus' name, amen.